0: So, Will. Yes? This week's movie, in the opening credits, features a... I can't remember if it's a with or an and. I think it's an and as, which is my favorite credit. Right, so it's and someone as the widow in the web.
1: We we can name her. It's, uh...
0: Lissa, because it's the same name as the main character. Lissa or Nissa?
1: The character is, yes, but the the actress is Francesca Annis.
0: Oh, Francesca Annis. Yeah, I wasn't going to remember that. So. Francesca Annis plays the Widow in the Web.
1: Who, by the way, we should mention is like 35 when they make this movie. Just in a ton of old age makeup. Well, it makes sense because you have the mirror flash that shows her as a young woman. But
0: when we watched this, that credit showed up and I could feel the excitement in the room to meet the Widow in the Web.
1: Yeah, of course. And then when we looked her up and we realized she's Lady Jessica in David Lynch's Dune. I know. And it was a great scene. A scene...
0: That continues to inspire filmmakers to this day, (laughs) serving as the inspiration for the go-home machine in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. But
1: I will say, we don't learn that much about the Widow in the Web. This is the character I'm least concerned with the fact that we don't learn much about her. Like, I feel like everything I learn about her is consistent with everything else I learn about her, and I feel like she should be mysterious. I have no beef with the Widow in the Web. I have no beef. I appreciate how it's
0: done, but I would also like to know more. And I am wondering if there are any other weird, slightly mysterious movie characters that you would
1: someday maybe hope to learn more about. I mean, this question feels very loaded to me because as I thought about movies, I was like, me saying I want to know more about a character feels like some dumb executive could be like, let's make a spinoff. And I, to be clear, no. No, this is, This is not what we're
0: asking for. There are characters that need spinoffs. I'm not naming
1: any. But genuinely, like, I felt tense thinking about this question because I was like, I don't want to be in any way responsible. (laughs) We know Bob Iger's a listener. Like, we don't want to cause anything here. If a spinoff gets made of a character we name,
0: one, I preemptively apologize. Two, I'll get on the phone and get production canceled. Don't worry. Or at least a producer credit. Or a producer credit. Whichever pays more.
1: So, speaking of Bingo Bob Iger, as you know, for the last three years, I've been in an ongoing project to watch all the Disney animated features in release order.
0: How is that going? Where are you up to?
1: Well, so I accelerated a bit for a little while this fall because for the 100th anniversary of Disney, they were re-releasing some of the classics. So I saw both Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King in theaters as part of this.
0: Oh, you were much further along than I remembered. I think we last talked at Aristocats.
1: No, I told you when I watched Black Cauldron. Oh, right. And then around that point, I started speeding up to try to catch some of these ones in theaters. Mm-hmm. But I haven't watched since then, so I'm, I still need to get around to Pocahontas. But as part of this, I watched one of unquestionably one of the best, which is 1989, The Little Mermaid. And Mark, I just want to ask you a question right now. Mm-hmm. In the film, The Little Mermaid, parentheses mm-hmm. 1989, How many songs does Ariel sing? Is it going to be like...
0: Is it just the one? It's one. I couldn't think of another. There's not that many songs in that movie, are there?
1: There are a couple of great ones, but I bring this up because you know who else has one song in The Little Mermaid? Ursula. An unnamed chef who wants to
0: murder Sebastian. Ah, yes. I'm not surprised this is your answer.
1: (laughs) And. That guy has such unbridled rage as he bellows out Les Poissons. I'm curious to know what his story is. And I do know, like, I feel safe making this my suggestion because I have already seen what Disney is interested in adding to that story. And it is not this.
0: Well, I don't know if you knew this, but a pack of seafood actually pushed that chef's mother off a
1: cliff. You know that's what happened to Cruella, right? Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I know and I will always reference it and maybe never see it. It is extraordinarily funny. Cruella could be a decent movie if it were 30 minutes shorter. Which I say because I thought it was ending and then checked my phone. Oh no. That's such a sign of a bad movie. Uh Uh-huh. I also want to know more about Captain Jeff from Big Shark. True. Time is money. Time is money. What's he trying to make? What was he doing? I would love to know. He was not coordinating the hunt for the big shark, which was the fire department's responsibility. What
0: a weird movie. I love it.
1: It's so- I can't wait to see it again.
0: The first people I thought of- Now, I know I said character, but this is a- this is a one story. The furry and the guy he's giving a blowjob to in The Shining. What's their deal? Who are they? I feel like there's a lot there. They seem to be having
1: fun. You know, I- I don't. Honestly... I don't think I could understand it, and I don't know that I want to. The reason it's interesting
0: is because I am curious about what furry culture in the 1920s is like. I imagine it's even more expensive to get a costume like that. So you really have to be committed. But it's just like, you know, they're having a good time. But also the fact that they show up alongside, like, murder people. What'd they do?
1: Did they do murders? I want to know. That's a good point. Like, basically everyone else we see is either the perpetrator or the victim of violent crime.
0: Yeah. And they're just two lovers enjoying their time together. This is kind of alarming to think about. So either they are about to suffer violence, they are going to do violence to each other or another person, or their crime is simply just being a little kinky. And to Stephen King and Stanley
1: Kubrick, that's evil. Did you know that around the time Dr. Sleep was coming out, Warner Brothers was like so bullish on it that they commissioned Mike Flanagan to like start prepping an Overlook Hotel prequel movie? Oh, we don't need that. No, we don't. And I like Dr. Sleep, but come on. You know what? That hotel also fits in
0: with what we're discussing. A character I'm kind of curious to know more about, but do not need a spinoff of. Yes. Another one I thought of is a little character that takes the screen by storm in the film The Northman, which is Bjork's
1: priestess,
0: (laughs) the seer. seer? What's going on there? What's her deal?
1: I don't need to know more, but I want to. See, that's another character where I feel like I understood her whole deal the minute she appeared on screen. (laughs) And yet, as
0: with Bjork, there must be so much more under the surface, even below the weirdness we get.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, it's a little of the character, a little of Bjork herself. What a great starring turn.
1: You know, the funny thing is, as we start pivoting a little bit, yes, I understand wanting to know more about the woman in the web, but, like, I have many more questions about, for example, the the web, The widow in the web. What did I say? Woman. Which,
0: again, another thing we never find out is, we know she
1: had a relationship with Enir,
0: but who is she married to?
1: That's the thing, I'm not convinced she ever was. It seems like he is her main former lover, but it doesn't feel like they were wedded. He also didn't die. Yeah.
0: So she wouldn't be a
1: widow? The divorcee in the web (laughs) sounds worse. But, like, I'm much more curious about the Slayers, for example. Ugh. The
0: weird lobster, or I guess, are they robots? That are
1: controlled by weird lobsters, like a Dalek situation. They reminded me of, like, yurks and controllers from Animorphs, where, like, when these slayers, who are just, like, bipedal, dark-armored soldiers, were killed, their heads almost invariably caved in and, like, evil goo would, like, skitter out. But it had a
0: form. I, like, almost like a, a lobster worm. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna have to interrogate how the slayers work. Yes. Should we just get into that now? Let's do it. Let's move. Okay. Um, Slayers. (laughs) I guess we should start the episode first. That's what I meant. Yeah. Welcome to We Love the Love,
1: a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the very least important issue facing our world. What's a glaive? Um, do you actually know? Have you looked it up? (laughs) I did. No. Do you want to know? The real answer is I only know this concept from Corvus Glaive, the Marvel Comics villain, and his weapon looks nothing like this. So, uh, Glaive is a, like,
0: sword point on a spear.
1: Yeah. That's my understanding.
0: Yep. It's not this.
1: It's not a murderous
0: frisbee. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a murder frisbee with boomerang and fire shooting powers.
1: Alright, well, uh, we're also investigating whether Hollywood romance is actually believable.
0: And whether the people are actually dateable or even
1: likable. It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are looking at the legendary fantasy flop Krull.
0: A movie with like a very
1: fascinating cultural legacy. Yes. In that it has one. It sure does. It has really lived on as like Weird bad fantasy movie. It like
0: is so perfectly in the era of this attempt to recreate the magic of Star Wars.
1: Which almost every review at the time mentions. Almost every one of them talks about Krull compared to other Star Wars followers. And yet
0: it just like doesn't live up to it is weirdly paced. Wait, are you saying this isn't as good as Star Wars? No, I'm, I'm making that bold claim. It's not even living up to the other rip-offs that it was probably being compared to.
1: This movie was beat at the box office by week 10 of Return of the Jedi. You know what? Good. <laughs> yeah, good! But
0: that is all
1: to say, I have
0: a soft spot in my heart for this movie and really enjoyed watching it again. Well, that's because you have a Slayer
1: inside you wrapped around your heart.
0: True, I have been taken over by the Slayers, and when I die, my
1: head will collapse in and a weird animal
0: will crawl out of my
1: skull. But this is a movie that I was only very vaguely aware of before this. It is, I believe, near and dear to your heart, as we said. It is, so this is
0: one of the first movies I sought out to watch because it is a bad movie. I believe the first movie I ever watched because of knowing it was so bad it was good, is a Thai horror film called Who Are You? I believe I've talked about this before. Me and, like, a bunch of friends took up the whole row in a theater, and it is just a baffling film. Spelled W-H-O space R space U. Good. Highly recommend. It's about a, like, bootleg DVD slash porn dealer in Bangkok who has a son who never leaves his room. Okay. And it is, like, takes the most mundane actions and then tries to make them seem scary with the twist being that they're not scary. Like, a, holding a knife. Like, with music implying it'll be used to stab someone. Uh, but then it isn't. <laughs> you could do that, like, once. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's a few of those. And it's just, like, it's baffling. So we watched that in theaters. I saw Dylan Dog, Dead of Night, in theaters. Sure, I'd forgotten about that. And then me and my then high school girlfriend rented a little film called Krull. I believe we did some internet research. And we watched this. But I'm guessing you didn't actually see much of the movie. Oh yeah, because of all the kissing we did. Me who would turn on movies and then use that as an excuse to not kiss. But we watched this and like, I remember so vaguely some things from this movie But they really stand out like the Slayers. Like when I first heard the sound of a Slayer being killed, it triggered a deep core memory. (laughs) But, you know, before we watched it, the only thing I could have told you about this movie is, spoiler alert, marriage gives you the power to shoot fire from your hands.
1: It sure does. I think this is the first movie for the podcast we've watched together since Love Again. And the first one not in theaters, maybe since Valentine's Day?
0: Wow. Yeah, you might be right. And so we did. It was fun. The two of us and our spouses watched this movie and complained about not getting the power to shoot fire from our hands.
1: Well, I think the problem, Mark, is that you're just too good a fighter. Oh my god, this movie. (laughs) Because good fighters make bad husbands, the power didn't come through.
0: But at the same time, he is also a very good fighter, and it did come through.
1: Yes, but he's like the chosen one. He is, and she's also the chosen one. He's the pre-chosen one because their child will be the super chosen one. Uh, Spoiler alert for (laughs) (laughs) 0.5. There's not that much to this romance. (laughs) Oh, really? There's not that much of anything to this movie. I opened up my notebook to look at my notes and was dismayed at how little I wrote because as we were watching this movie, it was flying out of my brain. It was like a reverse Big Shark where Big Shark every moment imprinted itself on me forever. (laughs) Like, as Crow was going on, I was forgetting what was happening. Because it was such nonsense.
0: One thing you gotta respect about this movie... Is its commitment to being boring. (laughs) Okay, besides that,
1: is its commitment to never explaining itself. And there can be... There's a good version of that, right? To go back to Star Wars, which we have to compare this movie to. Star Wars 1977 is full of weird-looking creatures who are just allowed to exist. It's full of references to shared histories that don't get explained, right? Stuff about Jabba the Hutt, stuff about the Empire, stuff about the Kessel Run. But none of that is central to understanding the movie or central to understanding the characters. It's all like added color. And in this, it feels like they want to achieve that, but instead you barely understand what anybody wants or is trying to do. (laughs) Anytime it introduces a rule, it's stated matter of factly. In a way that feels like they're trying to, like... In teaching, this is called accessing prior knowledge. Just, like, reinforcing something they should already know. So, like, when I'm told about, like, who it is that Cyclops hate... Slayers, of course. Right. It's said in such a way... that It's not even like, you know, Cyclops, they hate Slayers. It's like, as we all know, Cyclops hate Slayers. And everyone stops. Like, I'm watching Dory the Explorer, and I'm supposed to go, Yeah!
0: Well, I mean, don't forget, the reason they hate Slayers is because Slayers cursed them with the power to see the exact moment of their death.
1: Hilarious. Cool. Awesome. The
0: thing is, there are some, like, weird, very tiny nuggets of interest in this movie that features, I would say, a solid 15% just a man climbing rocks.
1: (laughs) It's so funny when he has to climb up there to get the glaive, because... It is weirdly simple. Like, he just has to climb up and go get it. And then he has to stick his his hand hand in some lava. Yeah, alright. But, like, a lot of it is just him climbing the mountain. And he gets back down and the wizard's just been sitting there waiting for him.
0: Uh, yeah. There was no uh, golden calf when he came back down from this mountain. I find this movie so fascinating. And in its boringness i also find that fascinating because it's like who sat and watched this film and said you know what we need more shots of colwyn climbing rocks
1: i mean there are parts of this movie where you can feel them patching a bad movie together right there's a point pretty early on where we're getting a lot of voiceover exposition over just like shots of like some people riding around on horses, that to me feels very much like, oh, we realize the movie doesn't make sense, so we need to provide more exposition, and we can do this as ADR over, like, who cares?
0: Which is kind of funny, because it is, like, extremely necessary information that is not filled in anywhere. It's yeah. stuff where, you're like, how did you forget to include this? And, like, I don't know that that was added, but that's what it feels like. It is what it feels like. It does provide even more of the, like, as we all know, type of vibe of, like, you didn't even send riders to help him on the stone road. And it's just like, okay, like, what's the stone road? I don't know. I guess it's dangerous.
1: I understand that, like, when you're making a movie... Like, it's hard to see the whole picture of it. That's part of what makes, like, a director's job and a producer's job so difficult, is that, you know, you're not shooting in sequence, you're doing takes over and over, sometimes you're doing scenes back-to-back that are at opposite ends of the movie, especially then when it's a special effects movie and there's going to be a lot of stuff that gets added in post. There's a certain extent to which making a big fantasy movie is an act of trust that it's all going to come together, that it will all look good, that it will be cool and epic. But watching this movie, you just have to wonder, like, At what point in this do you realize you're making a bad movie? Like, at what point in reading the screenplay or being surrounded with people who are doing a bad job acting, at what point do you think, you know, this, this one isn't working?
0: And at that point, the question is, like, especially as a studio, do you just, like, wrap it up as cheaply as possible or do you pump in more money to try and salvage it?
1: I mean, this thing had enough tie-in merchandise that I think the hope was that it could be a hit, right? There was a Parker Brothers board game of Krull. Well, and now I have to go to eBay. There was also a card game. There was a pinball game, which is maybe the ideal medium for this story.
0: If you told me that this movie became profitable off of pinball machine sales, I would believe you.
1: I'm just saying, I think Krull should have gone straight to
0: pinball. The first movie to ever go straight to pinball
1: (laughs) machine. It did actually have an Atari game that's, like, quite well-reviewed. Like, a side-scrolling game for the 2600. Yeah, I
0: I buy it. The visuals are good, like, in a lot of this movie. I would say the best part of this movie is its visuals.
1: I like the production design, especially in The Beast's Fortress, which gets on full, like, like French expressionist.
0: Yeah, it was like there were moments in that place that was like watching a Fritz Lang was silent film. Right,
1: where well, that's like truly unbelievable to look at.
0: And even just like the shot of the black castle in space that opens the movie, it's pretty cool. It's like a wooden rocket ship.
1: Oh, it's super cool. It's powered by crystals and it's just clearly this massive thing slowly moving through space. It is eerily close to the opening shot of star
0: wars it's a little close
1: instead of the ship going across the top of the screen it's coming in from the left but it is like the same shot rotated
0: but then it lands on the planet of krull and is a evil fortress
1: at which point we eventually learn it can teleport why did it have to fly in at the start i don't know i could
0: kind of see the technology being like A limited planetary range teleportation. Maybe. Jumping across the galaxy seems harder than jumping across the desert to the tundra.
1: That's possible. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that honestly I was fine with. It is ludicrous that it teleports at all. Yes. Because you could also just be in orbit and be more inaccessible.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, The Black Fortress was a 12 foot high miniature. Cool. Cool. Lissa's Castle? 20 feet tall.
0: I wonder if those still exist and if I can buy them.
1: Right. Yeah. So you mentioned the studio's role in this. Krull starts at the studio level. Frank Price was this like legendary head of Columbia Pictures. And like while he was at Columbia, he oversaw this like huge run of success. Nine of their 10 highest gross movies were made while he was running the studio. He oversaw stuff like Tootsie, Kramer vs. Kramer, Close Encounters, Ghostbusters. I am
0: just picturing, I know nothing about this person, I'm just picturing a man chomping on a cigar, slamming a newspaper on
1: the table and going, give me a Star Wars! So, Frank Price goes to producer Ron Silverman and is like, hey, let's try to make a fantasy movie. So, Ron Silverman then hires Stanford Sherman to write a treatment. Sherman was mostly a TV writer, he had worked on Batman, The Man from U.N.C.L.E., so like genre television, kind of. Sherman writes a treatment which basically outlines the beat of the movie that was made, except in that treatment, the beast was a dragon. And so the movie was called The Dragons of Krull.
0: So the thing with this movie is it's all a fantasy movie except for the fact that the beast is from space and the Slayers use laser guns. Everything else is straight fantasy.
1: Right, it feels like sci-fi villains have landed on a fantasy world and are just kicking its butt.
0: Like, it sounds like a Futurama episode. Which, actually,
1: what I just said sounds cooler than what is in the movie. Yeah. I mean, also, I read a
0: 70s pulp sci-fi novel where it's about a space tourism tour guide who leads a group of annoying tourists through a planet that is a basically a national park preserving the historical medieval world
1: cool but here's what i'm gonna say mark yes the dragons of krull is a much better name yes you know why because it tells you something about what the movie is
0: yeah krull is a bad name
1: krull tells me nothing I called the main character Captain Krull for much of the movie. Actually, I watched Roger Ebert and Siskel. I watched the At the Movies segment on Krull before this. And they referred to the villain as Krull because they just assumed that's what it was. And they had just seen the movie.
0: Yeah, it's a very forgettable movie, which is also funny to me.
1: Here's the thing Star Wars tells you exactly what it is. And that's a great movie, but it also is easy to advertise. Krull means nothing.
0: There's so many easy mistakes in this movie, which is why it's so interesting.
1: At one point, they hired Steven Tesich to do another draft of the movie, but it was thrown out for being too dialogue heavy. How could it? like, what? At one point, they were going to have Lyssa turn into a villain because of the Beast's influence. Cool. But they threw that out because they wanted her to maintain her, like, purity as a female ideal.
0: I did read that the actress who plays Lissa complained about how little there is for her character to do and wanted to be the villain.
1: Yeah. It's hard to track down a lot of the, like, coverage of this movie because, like, serious journalism and criticism of Krull is almost exclusively limited to Starlog magazine. But it didn't, like, critics reviewed it. It was a big film. Oh, it was, yeah. Oh, this movie cost $30 million in 1983. Yeah, it's too expensive. It was an enormously expensive movie. A big part of that was because they kept, like, as they were reimagining the movie, building sets and then getting rid of them or having to, like, dramatically reimagine them. But yeah, this movie barely cost less than Return of the Jedi.
0: It's so wild. The special effects are pretty good at times.
1: At times, yeah. Look, the production design's pretty cool. I weirdly think the locations are the part that stink. Like, the sets are cool. They shot at Pinewood Studios on, like, the big James Bond sets, like, sound stages, where you could just build these huge sets. It's whenever they take the costumes out onto location, is when they look cheap.
0: Honestly, if the whole movie looked kind of artificial, it would work better. Like, when they're in the swamp, you don't notice how dumb the costumes look.
1: No, of course not. And the swamp is, like, this really cool... They shot it on the biggest set at Pinewood, and it's awesome. Why are his pants so tight, Will? Well, I don't think they're pants. I think they cross over fully into qualifying as, like, leggings. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. His striped leggings and his tunic.
0: The one thing I do appreciate about Krull is their willingness to have their lead character shirtless.
1: They do do that. Unfortunately, he doesn't have that much else to recommend to him. No, not at all.
0: I feel like there is a seed of an idea in Krull that could be a good movie. It's almost frustrating how bad it is.
1: Well, it was good enough for a Saturn Award nomination for Best Fantasy Film.
0: That's such a low bar.
1: <laughs> they lost to Something Wicked This Way comes.
0: The Saturns are just...
1: Especially in the 80s. Yeah. When there were fewer things that qualified. Yeah,
0: I mean, at a certain point with the Saturns in the 80s, it's just, like, the fantasy films of the year.
1: Right. Uh, They also lost Best Costumes to Return of the Jedi. And then, like, the one thing a lot of people seem to like about Krull is the score by James Horner.
0: I don't remember. It, like, doesn't stand out to me.
1: I did not love it. I think Horner has done a lot of much better work.
0: I think anyone involved in this movie probably did better work.
1: Well... James Horner's score for Krull was nominated for Best Music at the Saturn Awards. James Horner actually was three of the five nominees that year, and he won for Brainstorm.
0: I don't think I know that movie.
1: It's a movie about, like, weaponizing emotions or something. I don't know. I haven't seen Brainstorm. It's the final appearance of Natalie Wood. So to circle back to Frank Price, the head of Columbia at the time, he largely manages to dodge responsibility for Krull's flop because at the time it's coming out, he's actually leaving Columbia because this is right around the time that the studio got bought by Coca-Cola and Frank Price didn't really like the direction that they were going to go. So he left and swiftly got hired as the head of Universal and everyone's like, ah, huge win for Universal getting this. But Frank Price actually only ran Universal for three years because Another flop was coming down the way, and he was forced to resign after the failure of Howard the Duck.
0: Oh my god. This man is responsible for the worst movies of my life. Yeah. Uh, Oh, Howard. He hasn't been discussed in a while.
1: No, I mean, like, the thing that really took the wind out of our, our Duck Talk sales was when they canceled the Hulu show.
0: It never aired,
1: right? No, they... They, like, only got part of the way into developing it. It didn't come close to airing. Rude. Yeah. And then Howard was not in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 either. Rude. So his last Marvel appearance has been in, he's in, like, one shot of Endgame.
0: They really backed off. They were, like, ready to make it go for it.
1: Yeah. And, like, after his original appearance at the end of Guardians 1, he got a big push in the comics, too, including some stuff that people really liked. But it does feel like, Once the show got canceled, it kind of took all the momentum out of Howard's Rise.
0: I'm kind of sad. I would have watched it.
1: Yeah, we would have done an episode on it. Yeah, we would have had to. Well, like we've said repeatedly, Krull was a notorious flop. It opened July 29th, 1983 in fourth place behind National Lampoon's Vacation, Jaws 3D, and Week 10 of Return of the Jedi. It ultimately grossed. $16.9 million in North America against its $30 million budget, becoming a legendary flop, and was panned by basically all critics except for Janet Maslin, who you can always count on to have a different opinion from everyone else. Sometimes that's good, sometimes it's bad.
0: What a fascinating character that one is.
1: All right, Mark, though, do we need to, like, dig into every piece of Krull, or do we just go into the romance and count on its scarcity to let us go everywhere else we want?
0: I'm trying to think of anything else that we need to shout out. I mean, if we're sticking to just the romance, we will skip over the seer in the emerald cave, the swamp, the You know what, I cyclops. forgot about the seer
1: in the emerald cave
0: and his little boy. <laughs> his little boy. The cyclops, the uh, slayers. I guess we'd get some slayers. The fire mares. I love the fireman. I love just naming shit in this movie, because it all sounds <laughs> so funny.
1: But I think maybe we could squeeze all that in there and just yeah, get we'll into figure the romance. Out. Yeah, I did find out why we were unable to identify Robbie Coltrane in the movie, and it's partially because he is entirely dubbed over for some reason.
0: Well, so is Alyssa. Weird choices being made in this movie.
1: But this is like the age of dubbing, right? Because they also did the whole dub in, like, Tarzan around this time.
0: Oh, yeah, didn't they? Did it, like, just hit a point where it could be
1: believable or something? I don't know. But yeah, it's, like, famously Glenn Close dubbed over Andy McDowell. I assume that one, they just, like, watched the movie and they were like, we don't want Andy McDowell's accent in this movie, which is dumb. Like, you should figure that out in casting.
0: Yeah, what a weird use of money. (laughs) Correct. Sometimes it's just, like, the studio... It's kind of on you at a certain point for some of this overspending, yeah, of course, well, every week we break down the romantic plot line of a movie into five points to guide conversation this week, point one, the opening of the film after a very bizarre opening narration
1: right we get we start with the ship flying in, we get the opening narration about basically some. People from different countries are going to marry and their child will save the world?
0: No, they'll sa- and they'll save the
1: world. They'll save the world, their child will save the universe? Will rule the galaxy. Does not okay. say save. That could be bad. <laughs> okay, good point. We saw what happened with Mwad Dib.
0: I think I also said that <laughs> during the opening that it is the most logical conclusion to draw.
1: We should mention that this week we were supposed to do the David Lynch Dune, and then Warner Brothers decided to move Dune to March.
0: Right, and so now we're doing this, and we will be doing David Lynch's Dune in March. Right. But point one, we get Lyssa talking to her dad, who's complaining, because she has decided that to fight the Beast, they will unite seemingly the only two countries on the planet, and also seemingly the only two groups of People? people on the planet.
1: Father, the invaders are destroying our world. We must have the
0: alliance. Only if we're united do we stand a chance against them.
1: Then I'll make a treaty with King Turrell. It's not necessary for you to marry his son.
0: It's the only way to guarantee the alliance. The marriage is my choice.
1: If it were anyone but Turrell's son.
0: Corwin is a great fighter.
1: Good fighters make bad husbands. There are no peasants. There's a reference at one point to like, yeah, the slayers have burned down a town. We never see a town. There's no evidence of like human settlement beyond this one castle.
0: I feel like if there were just a town around that castle, the movie would feel less off. The last unicorn felt more lived in than this. Right. It's so empty. And that is like one of the weirdest things about this movie because we see this castle And there's nothing around it. At all. We don't see a single town. We know there's a jail somewhere. We know there must be people because we get a gang of robbers who all escape jail. It's bizarre. But she has decided she's reached out to the son of their enemy kingdom. And the two of them are getting married. Yeah.
1: So they had not met before?
0: No, I don't think so.
1: It's weird because, like, this sense that I got watching the movie was that they already knew and liked each other, and it was like a Romeo-Juliet kind of thing. But basically, as I've sat with the movie, I've realized, like, no, I think they had never met.
0: I think Lyssa is just like a political master manipulator who doesn't care about her own life as much as her country.
1: And so these countries have been enemies, but her plan is to unite their houses, to unite their armies, To fight against the beast from outer space.
0: Right. With their swords against laser guns.
1: Which, look, do okay in battle.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know what? They hold their own in some battles. Not at the opening one. Which is point two. So, Colwyn and his family, probably based off of what we've seen, his entire kingdom of ten people, arrive
1: at Lissa's castle. Yeah, his dad is definitely there because we know his dad dies in the ensuing battle. Mm -hmm. And it's very clear that the parents are not interested in this. They're not happy about it, but they don't feel like they can say no.
0: Right. Because they, I
1: guess, trust their kids. I don't know. I don't know. Colwyn and Lyssa immediately just act like... They have known each other for years and are deeply in love. Yes. They are not behaving as people who are just meeting for an arranged marriage.
0: No, they are horny for each other right off the bat. Is this where the ceremony will be?
1: Mm. Tonight
0: at moonrise. My father says that good fighters make bad husbands. That depends. On what? On whether you expect a husband to follow you around
1: jump every time you clap your hands
0: wouldn't you jump for me no of course not you're a warrior and we do know one of the reasons her father opposes the marriage too as we said is uh, good warriors make bad husbands they sure do and so colwyn is a good warrior and he doesn't even have a glaive yet he doesn't have a glaive they fall in love immediately and get excited to get married we go to their marriage ceremony where she pulls fire out of water and then passes it to him right that's how that's how marriage works which is how marriage works actually before she can pass it to him the slayers attack
1: and everyone is murdered except for colwyn this scene is the one that they used as the clip in the siskel and ebert episode and it's so funny how they introduce it Where they're like, here's what's going to happen. Don't worry, it won't make sense. Rude and accurate.
0: Yeah. So they're unable to be married. Lissa is abducted by the Slayers.
1: Yeah, it was really unclear to me whether the wedding was completed or not. Because they did pull the fire from water.
0: But she did not put it in his hand.
1: Uh, So the
0: ceremony was not completed. She said she was going to.
1: That's why it's okay for him to flirt with the other lady later on.
0: Well, it's not okay. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Maybe we'll adjust the points. Yeah, whatever. Um, I, I trust you. Point five right now is just the final prophecy at the end again, because I, yeah. like, as they walk into the distance.
1: Right, they repeat the prophecy.
0: So at this point, we're kind of moving into point three, where she's been abducted by the Beast, and he is on his adventure.
1: Okay, let's start with her being abducted by the Beast, which is the best the movie ever looks. Yes. Where she's always in these, like... Weird, surreal environments that don't appear to follow normal laws of physics in the way they're laid out. And she's just, like, wandering through them while an evil voice talks to her. It feels like a nightmare. It's the coolest the movie ever gets, by a mile. Right. But what's kind of weird about it is the Beast is really determined to marry her. So here's my
0: interpretation of how this could make sense. She is the star of the prophecy. And he wants to be the man who marries her so his son can take over the galaxy.
1: I just, like, the beast is such a, like, literally large and, like, almost metaphysical force that, like, I I don't think of the beast as something that reproduces. Right. So I feel like they should have gone
0: with a more humanistic villain. Who Maybe is like a Cyclops. Pursuing marriage. No, because the Cyclops hate the Slayer's will. Oh my gosh, they hate the Slayer. They stole their eye in exchange for the ability to see the future, but the only future they can see is the exact moment of their death.
1: The Cyclops actually, like, as much as it like, kind of looks a little silly, it is very cool where like the eyes are just covered with makeup and they have a robotic eye that's like controlled by a puppeteer. And yet every time it blinks, that eye steals focus. It looks very silly. But it's a cool effect in a vacuum.
0: Right. The Beast, a little too Cthulhu to conceivably want to marry Lyssa. But he does. And he does take the form of Colwyn as part of his sales pitch. And it's just like, you will have power over the galaxy if you right, marry his me. idea is like,
1: look, if the issue is you want to bang this hottie, I can look like him. But he just feels like too much like walking nihilism to want something as paltry as a hot lady.
0: I don't want your power.
1: Do not let my form frighten you, Lisa. (sighs) I could assume any form I wish. Any form you wish.
0: There's no love in that form.
1: And you think there's love in
0: your boy, King? If he was just a guy, it would make more sense. Yeah. And if instead of marriage, it was like more like a deal with the devil situation. And they just if leaned he into- If brain for something. It's like if he leaned into being the devil and was like, I'm going to exchange power for your child so that your child can rule the galaxy after I die type situation, he can be more devilish and Cthulhu-esque. But right now, again, this movie makes every
1: decision incorrectly. Right. So meanwhile, Colwyn has to go on an adventure that is the main body of the movie. It's like a D&D adventure run by a bad DM. Right, where it's just a bunch of disjointed episodes with side
0: characters that die off and don't make a lot of sense.
1: Right, they die off extremely quickly without necessarily making a huge impact. Frankly, it feels like a campaign run by an inexperienced DM with players who also don't really know what they're doing. So the DM keeps having to introduce NPCs to get them through trouble or putting them in traps and having to be like, ah, uh, don't worry. There's actually another way out. Like we're constantly being told like the only way to get where we need to go is to go this way. And, and then when that's too dangerous, When that's too dangerous, they're like, actually we can go somewhere else. Right. Like
0: the only way they'll ever find out where the, black or what is it black fortress is located like so they can anticipate it so they can get there is by talking to the like seer in the emerald cave oops he dies before he can get to the emerald temple where he'll have enough power to see this but don't worry they can immediately go talk to the widow in the web
1: right it just feels like a dm scrambling to cover for the players not doing what he planned oh no uh they're probably gonna lose this fight There's a Cyclops following them who just wants to kill these guys, so that's gonna help in the fight.
0: It's just a weird mishmash. I named a bunch of things already, but most importantly to the romance is a thing I forgot about, as I did a lot of things in this movie. When they're camping with the
1: thieves that they've rescued, slash teamed up with. A scene which has strong Last Unicorn vibes. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, no Molly grew.
0: There's a Molly Gru.
1: Yeah, you know what, there is. <laughs> there is. Uh, Liam Neeson's wife is there. Oh yeah, did we mention Liam Neeson is in this? Yeah, Liam
0: Neeson's... Uh, one of his first film appearances.
1: He's got like ten lines.
0: And a weird rat tail. Like,
1: well, he's still a Padawan at this point.
0: Yeah, so his wife is there, and then she's rescued this young girl from one of the villages destroyed by the Slayers, which I don't really believe exists. And she flirts with Colwyn, who... It seems to be going along with it as the beast is showing Lissa this video saying, like, he will cheat on you. You may as well marry me. He's falling in love with someone else already.
1: But he doesn't. He doesn't. And the woman who's in the beast's thrall also turns against the beast.
0: Because she does. She falls in love with Colin, obviously, uh, in their what? 30 seconds. And then the beast just kills her. But we only
1: see it in hologram form. Yeah. a <laughs> bummer. So this kind of brings us to point four, where they're reunited. Right. He's done all the things he needed to do. He climbed the mountain to get the glaive, the legendary weapon that we all know how it works. It's super cool, right? It's great. The glaive, it's a five-pointed star that you throw, and it comes back like a boomerang. Knives can come out of the points. It can also shoot lasers. Yeah. It's a weapon that feels like it's described by a six-year-old. It's pretty cool, but really dumb. It's too dumb to be cool.
0: If it could do half of the things it did, like when it has knives come out, cool. When it starts shooting lasers, that's when you're like, okay, we've gone a little far here. (laughs) At what point do I need the
1: knives then?
0: (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, he's broken in. He has the glaive. So he uses the glaive to, you know, in movies when people are like, are using like a welding torch to melt their way into a, through a steel wall. That's what I've it looks I've seen like. Liam Neeson do that. So he breaks into her cell,
1: and they are reunited. The relentless pace with which this movie kills off every supporting character- Except for, like, three. Truly unbelievable.
0: Cyclops, dead. Enir, dead. Almost every single one of the thieves, except for the leader of the group, dead. The magician and the kid, the only ones that live. Unfortunately, yes. But- in terms of romance, they get back together, they're reunited, they're happy. He is using the glaive against the beast, but then... It's not working. It's not wor- It stops working, it works at first, but then it, the beast is too powerful. Very much video game logic, boss fight. Yeah, but they complete the wedding ceremony, and their love gives him the power to
1: shoot, like, excessive amounts of fire from his hand. Well, the women have the fire within them at all times, and in... Marriage, they have the power to share it with their husbands.
0: Right. So she's really the one with the power inside of her. But it can only be accessed through a man. I mean, we are
1: told by the Beast that love is fleeting. Power is eternal. So maybe she should have given up on love and figured out how to harness the power herself.
0: It would have been more interesting. So they kill the Beast. They break out of the fortress before it collapses upward. It, like, breaks apart, and then the pieces fall into space instead of, like, down a hole. Yep, that's how gravity works. Uh, and this brings us to point five, where the, like, five remaining characters who didn't die walk into the distance as we hear the prophecy again. So we know that they are in love, and their child will rule the galaxy. A girl of ancient name shall become queen. She shall choose a king, and together they shall rule our world. And their son shall rule the galaxy. Sequel-tease? I guess. So, Will, after watching Krull, do you find the romance believable? No! No. It makes no sense. It doesn't even make sense that they would recognize each other when they first
1: meet. Right, yeah. So, like, if we walk through this, the two of them circumvent their monarch fathers to arrange a political marriage. They experience love at first sight, progress immediately to their wedding. Their wedding's interrupted by demons. He fights his way to her. They get married again. That's all that happens with them.
0: Yeah, but they are horny. And like,
1: on paper, on paper, that is somewhat believable in like a chivalric sense. But, frankly, they're too into each other. Not just in a like, honor and politics way, but in a like, I know you and I love you way.
0: If they were less horny for each other, it would make more sense.
1: Right, and like, Even, like, horny would be better than, like, we are seeing actors attempt to portray romantic love.
0: I guess, yeah, because why would she be so jealous of him flirting with another woman?
1: If anything, she'd be, like, annoyed. I would believe that. But this is a betrayal.
0: Right. It doesn't make any sense.
1: So where would you rate this where zero means you believe no romance and ten means you believe all of it? As you did lay out,
0: the politics of this marriage makes a lot of sense. So in terms of that, for their romance... I can't go down to, like, a one. No, of course not. But I'm willing to give this, like, maybe a four. They're just so dull.
1: I'm going three. Okay. I think fair enough. Do you think either of them is dateable? No. No. God, it's certainly not Colin, who is an annoying little whiny boy.
0: They're both no people.
1: And Lissa, yeah, doesn't have that much going on either. Uh, Will they stay together? They're prophesied to, so yes. Yeah. Also, who else will they be with? There's five other people on the planet. Yeah,
0: everyone else is dead. If you had to pick one person in this movie to date, who would you choose?
1: I think I'm going to go with Liam Neeson's wife, the Molly Gru of this movie.
0: She does rescue the only survivor of a village attack, which is nice.
1: Yeah, and she's, like, happy to, like, run this whole camp where everyone seems to have, like, a pretty nice time. They can relax. Have some food. Hers is the the home in the movie. The only true home we see.
0: So Wikipedia describes Liam Neeson's character as a polygamist.
1: Oh, I did not pick up on that, but I believe it. I did not. It's like,
0: is it the idea that he is through his wife now married to this new woman?
1: I don't know. Maybe this detail is all just in the novelization by Alan Dean Foster, who is a weirdo.
0: Yeah, that, I was so confused.
1: (laughs) If you told me this was an Alan Dean Foster detail, I would believe it.
0: Yeah, it's bizarre. But yeah, I think I would go with, honestly, the Cyclops is pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, why not? He's wise, he's powerful.
1: He did come and join the fight in the end, even though he knew he would die there.
0: Which, again, I don't understand. So he already knew he was going to die.
1: And then he left right, it's, where he was it's supposed to It's the question die. of whether does he know how he'll die or just the time of death.
0: But they kept talking about how it will give more pain if they, like, run away from their death. But, like, if you're going to die, I guess, like, it must be a the unimaginable pain for you to just accept your death. But the logic doesn't hold up to me.
1: No, it does not. But fine, marry the cyclone. But yeah, why not?
0: Will, should there be a Krull musical?
1: I think I've been pretty clear that I think this story should be exclusive to Pinball.
0: Yeah, the only music we need is the sweet, sweet sound of points being added to the board.
1: I don't think this should be a musical, although, like, I'm tempted to say it would be better as a musical. I really just think it would be better with, like, clearer character motivations. (laughs) And a musical is one way to get at that, because they have to sing their motivations.
0: Yeah, yeah. It would definitely make them more apparent. It would be a more coherent story as a musical. Wow. I feel like there aren't a lot of films that would become more coherent as a musical. Well, Will, thank you for indulging my desire to re-watch Krull. It was a delight to watch with you. I feel like if you want to watch Krull, I would recommend a group of people and some substances in your system. Definitely helpful.
1: Next week we will be watching A very, very different film. Yes, this is another movie that I had not seen prior to watching it for the podcast.
0: And another movie that did hold a special place in my heart.
1: It's another one you made out during?
0: Uh, No, this was pre-dating anyone. This was like middle school. Uh, I guess I had a, a girlfriend in elementary school, but that was a lie. Basically, it was just an excuse so I could hang out with the girls at recess instead of the boys.
1: Look, whatever works for you.
0: And we broke up the same day, I believe. This was in third grade.
1: When you say you broke up the same day, what does that mean? You broke up with one another simultaneously?
0: No, we, uh, I had a girlfriend at the start of recess, and then we broke up by the end. Oh, okay. Yeah. Time moves quick when you only have a few years under your belt. Next week, we are watching Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery.
1: And I'm, uh, looking forward to getting to talk about it. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com.
0: Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It'll help other people find
1: the show. Last question, Mark. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from crow?
0: Jeez. I did not think about this at all. Um, I guess my advice is sometimes... If you find yourself in an arranged marriage for political situations to unite two kingdoms and bring peace to the planet of Krull, you may find love along the way.
1: Look, they say it over and over again. Good fighters make bad husbands. Fair enough. So avoid good warriors, I believe.
0: There you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance.
1: Bye! Bye! We don't like what we do!